Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everyone, this is Jayan Sriram, welcoming you to a special B20 episode of the CII Podcast. As you may know, CII is a sec- is a secretariat for the B20 India Engagement Group. Through this important platform, B20 India is facilitating conversations on economic growth and development opportunities through various B20 India task forces and action councils. Today's topic for discussion is the role of B20 in forging partnerships. The need for mainstreaming corporate sustainability implementation and reporting standards is gaining importance at a fast pace. It's time for businesses to look at policy measures that are not just impactful on the ground but also drive the sustainability agenda. We know that recent developments in the global arena have not only accentuated the vulnerabilities of supply chains but have also highlighted the need for having inclusive and resilient global value chains so that localized disruptions don't affect the development trajectories of economies. So how can knowledge sharing support ESG implementation in value chain? How can government and businesses come together to ensure inclusive and resilient global value chain? And in what way can B20 help develop a comprehensive ESG framework that generates positive socio-environmental and governance outcomes? To discuss this today we have with us Linda Cromion co-chair action council on ESG in business member inclusive GVCs for resilient global trade and investment and president of Amphori in her role as president of Amphori Linda advocates for sustainable and open trade and continues to interact with governments international institutions NGOs and civil society she also serves as the chair of the stakeholder board of the association of professional social compliance auditors incorporated thanks for being here with us today linda and thank you so much for making time for us on the cii podcast thank you jans right so i'll start off then the b20 recommendations advocate for more inclusive trade policies so in your opinion how can trade contribute to women's economic empowerment and what policy measures are the most likely to drive impact on the ground Thanks uh, Jans. Um well women empowerment you know is an economic economic empowerment is absolutely crucial and if you look into the world bank more women than men live in poverty globally and they are all really disproportionately represented at the lowest tiers of the supply chain and women are also subject to the worst kinds of discrimination and abuse and calls for a more inclusive trade have been over the rise over the past years especially since the definition of the sustainable development goals include a specific objective SDG number 5 on gender equality and directly linking the issue of women empowerment to sustainable development at international level the world trade organization aims at increasing the participation of women in the workplace and since 2022 the WTO has set up an informal working group on trade and gender a trade agenda unit a gender research hub a trade agenda 360 strategy and a capacity building program for women entrepreneurs called bridge and many similar types of initiatives place women empowerment at the heart of trade activities and they have also emerged in different regions including the EU so gender consideration are really crucial to achievements of of forest vision and mission to empower companies across the globe 
to make sure they can operate successfully and responsibly by helping those companies improve the environmental, social and governance uh, performance of their entire value chain. What we as Amphori did, also we have a, uh, a, a program that's called Amphori BSCI, Business Social Compliance Initiative, and we really revised the entire code of conduct that founds the basis of this initiative to make sure that it was gender neutral. So we did a review through a revision through a gender lens. And this revised system enables now companies to carry out their human rights due diligence processes with this gender lens. And it allows them to actively manage any adverse uh, human rights impacts in their global supply chains in a way that responds to the needs of the women. So it's really important to understand that what we're doing is in interest of women. It's not something that we think, but it's what they think that we take into account. And a critical component of Amphori's work to promote gender equality and women's empowerment has been sensitizing, really talking about the subject, but also training businesses along the supply chain, including management and workers, because you will need to have both angles in countries and sectors where there is a high risk of gender-based discrimination and harassment. And to be very clear, it happens in any country. We've also launched a supply chain grievance mechanism for our members. And that grievance mechanism has been set up following the UN guiding principles effectiveness criteria for non-judicial grievance mechanism mouthful. But it's incorporating perspective of those who are at high risk of vulnerability or marginalization. And that does include women, unfortunately. I am really, really a strong believer of the benefits sustainable trade brings to women. When trade policy is really linked to the uptake of the core UN and ILO conventions, this ensures that the remaining challenges which trade policy on its own cannot solve are tackled. So really going back to the foundation of non-discrimination about the standards that we have outside there in the world. On this, aside from awareness raising schemes, the two major forms of trade policies are free trade agreements, FTAs, but also the generalized scheme of preferences, in short, GSP. And we know that since 2014, all FTAs negotiated by the EU, such as the 2020 Vietnam EU uh, free trade agreement and the one currently being negotiated with India, but also, which was in the news also yesterday, you know, with Latin America, contained trade and sustainable development chapters that really include a commitment from the partner country to ratify and or affirm its commitment to the fundamental ILO conventions. And those are really at the core of what we do, which is really part of our daily life because they talk about non-discrimination uh, uh, in all aspects. And these um, uh, are really relevant if we look into terms of employment, that this is being done in a non-discriminatory uh, measure. It also means uh, that there is opportunities uh, uh, more to be grabbed by businesses, by governance to tap into the pool of women. The generalized scheme of preference, the GSP, also requires beneficiary countries to live up to the principles of the UN Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women and ILO Convention on Equal Remuneration and Discrimination. 
And the economic advantages that are really gained by partner countries receiving trade preferences by being party to a free trade agreement or the GSP are substantial as trade increases giving rise to increased production and therefore increased income. The risk of losing these should ensure that the requirements to implement measures to protect women in the workplace are enacted. So there is an incentive, you know, if you do it right, this is what you, there's something to get back for it. So trade policy has a crucial role to play in further promoting gender equality in global value chains and raising awareness about persisting issues. It has already created millions of jobs in export-oriented industries, most of which have been taken up by women. So global trade is beneficial for women. And empowering women means empowering families, means empowering society. It's really the key really to really lift many more people out of poverty. The G20 should adopt measures to encourage increased workforce participation for women, younger people, the youth and other marginalized groups, including persons with disabilities, to really make sure that we use all the talents that we have on this planet. I hope I've answered the question uh, uh, you know, detailed enough. If there's any further questions, do let me know. No, that's perfect. Thank you. I think that was great. Um, so just to move on from there, you know, while uh, technical and financial access remain important for value chains, knowledge sharing is also crucial for building the resilience of supply chains. So what measures should the B20 recommend for ensuring that business from developing countries and MSMEs have access to the same level of information and can support ESG implementation in value chains? Technical and financial access is absolutely crucial. I'm not going to elaborate on that one. I just want to make the point here. And, and you know, and linking it back to a previous topic, also financial inclusion for women. But if we look into the topic of, say, capacity building, knowledge sharing, and the relevance of that, this is really an important factor for business success and resilient global value change. And it really starts with understanding, building capacity, and share knowledge. Change is the only thing that we know is constant. Um, uh, uh, and to drive sustainable change, it is really crucial that change is inspired and supported by the right knowledge, the right education, and the right skill set. And in this regard, capacity building and skill development are both essential to equip human resources with the required acumen to drive businesses and to bring more parity across countries and scales of industry. So environmental, social and governance implementation is essential to the survival and success of the businesses on the road ahead. G20, and I would say even more specifically the B20, plays an important role in nurturing and developing economies and sectors to develop sustainable business models and by doing so achieve the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Align that with the well-known 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Sustainable Development Goal number four, um, quality education, impacts the achievement of the other Sustainable Development Goals. So it's an enabling factor not to be underestimated. It's really important to note also that SDG number 17, which is about collaborations, about partnerships for the goals, also significantly enables the achievement of those 17 SDG goals. 
And in this regard, B20 can recommend partnerships at an international level and between private and government sectors to ensure that knowledge is imparted and access to information is available for all. So we need to make sure it's easy, accessible, it's unlockable. The UN guiding principle number eight states that states should ensure that governmental departments, agency and other state-based institutions that shape business practices are aware of and observe the state's human rights obligations when fulfilling their respective mandates, including by providing with relevant information, training and support. So what B20 could recommend is the establishment of a knowledge hub in partnership with ESG experts that encourage businesses as well as governments to share knowledge, experience, capacity and best practices, and by doing so, influence the sustainable development, the sustainable trade and sustainable businesses. It is important to know that sustainability comprises of three letters I mentioned already. It's the E for environment, it's the S for social, it's the G for governance, and all three are equally important. And what is also relevant for all three of them, they can only thrive if we underpin that through capacity building. What we have done at M4WE, recognizing the relevance of a capacity building, is that we established the M4WE Academy. And we do see the impact and value uh, of the same, you know, across the global supply chain. The M4WE Academy as a combination of online and offline learning tools. Uh, it involves interactive uh, and practical uh, teaching. It's peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, relevant to day-to-day -to -day jobs that support ESG implementation across value chains. What the Amphori Academy does, it builds knowledge and skills in human environmental supply chain due diligence. And both ends of the supply chain benefit from these training and learning opportunities. The buyer, as well as the supplier or the business partners. And we all know that uh, companies have several hats. They are a buyer and a supplier at the same time, but equally important is say the focus of capacity building on the ground and especially for SMSEs and SMEs. The trainings therefore are really tailored to the respective needs, huh? languages, but it are also customized because the environment is not everywhere the same. It differs from region or per country. So we should factor that in. The OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises on responsible business conduct acknowledge the contribution that multinational enterprises can make to local capacity building as a result of their activity in local community. It's part of their responsibility. It's also good business practice because it makes sense for them if their supplier Bispana knows what to do that gives value back to the multinational enterprise. The OECD M&E guidelines also recognize that enterprises can use or increase leverage in several ways to influence entities with which it has business relationships for example through support training and capacity building but also facilitate peer learning by bringing their suppliers together, as an example here. I am really a firm believer of knowledge sharing and building capacity. And I really do hope that the B20 will succeed in facilitating parity and access to information and education. Thank you. Right, I think that was a very comprehensive answer. So 
thank you so much for that and just to move on again um collaboration plays a critical role for strengthening resilience in the backdrop of you know the ramifications of of uh, value chain disruptions that we saw particularly in the post pandemic period and now in an increasingly complex geopolitical context so what do you think are the top 3 areas in which governments and business need to further collaborate in the coming years to really ensure that global value chains can remain inclusive and resilient um the past few years have been a bit of a wake up call i would say huh? and they really indeed really tested the resilience of supply chains quite a bit and i think we all have still lively uh, memories about what happened through covid-19 and you know how the media disruption really impacted everyone's life almost for amphori and its members the pandemic had the potential to question the validity of business choices made to put sustainability at the heart of their supply chain management strategy was it a wise thing to do or not are we now going to focus on other things but what was really i think was really very interesting to see is that it was quickly observed that members who really had mapped their supply chain who knew their business partners who understand their risks who had set up an ESG risk management strategy in place who had good relationship very often long term relationship with their suppliers were better or well equipped to resist supply chain stress and this was not only the case from foreign members i think also globally it was observed that companies who had this really you know had this in their hands and had it as part of the core uh, business proposition really performed better and came better out of these crises so the obvious conclusion from that was that any company concerned about its resilience needs to adapt a sustainable business approach it's business sense after all sustainability is about really making sure that we've got the right balance between social economic and environmental consideration and this balancing exercise requires sometimes pragmatism sometimes we need to act fast it requires we it really requires being creative uh, but also requires long term strategic uh, 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 thinking and agility to adapt if it were necessary but all elements um, that are also key factors uh, uh, features of successful visibility across the globe have these characteristics so pragmatism creativity and long term strategic thinking So to reply to your question the number one area where I think government and businesses need to further collaborate to ensure resilience uh, in global value chains is sustainability. In this area their respective roles are well defined by the guiding principles. Governments have a duty to protect everyone within their jurisdiction from environmental and social impacts caused by business practice. Businesses and eh, foreign members companies businesses have a responsibility to respect environmental and social rights and when environmental and or social impacts occur at two people both government and business have a duty or respectively a responsibility to support victims to access in an effective way a remedy through judicial and non-judicial grievance mechanism and I already alluded to the amphoric grievance mechanism in an earlier response to a question that you asked Jens and as a second area i think is really important it's i would say trade we are operating in a global economic environment and with open and sustainable trade policy can generate i would say amazing new business opportunities if key players like india 
and the EU. For example, we are prepared to set trade agreements encouraging more resilient and inclusive trade flows. That really would make a huge, huge difference. Um, I already touched upon uh, this topic in response to your question before, so I'm not going to say further elaborate on it, um, but leave it here. And then I think finally, my third point is that I really see an important role for governments. They must support small and medium enterprises or even MSMEs and create an enabling and supporting policy environment in which they can thrive to make sure that they are able and are enabled and are uh, set up for success to adapt to changing circumstances and attract therefore an investment, which is crucial to grow. On top of regulations, accompanying measures to enable small and medium enterprises to better manage the risks and build capacity can make a real difference. Thank you. That was, that was once again, I think, a really comprehensive answer, just highlighting the need for and then the different ways in which global value chains can be made more resilient going forward. Um, and just to so, so to to, uh, to a related topic again, the need for mainstreaming corporate sustainability implementation and reporting standards is gaining importance, as, as I mentioned uh, in the introduction. So how can how can B20 bring about consensus within a common and comprehensive ESG framework that generates socio-environmental and governance outcomes while also considering the development challenges faced by the Global South. I think that's the major challenge really when it comes to, um, to, to, to adopting an ESG framework that can work for all geographies. Yeah, and I think it's a really important question, uh, uh, Jan. And, and, and what we have seen, I would say, over the past decade, or maybe even two decades, uh, if you look back, we have indeed witnessed, uh, you know, say a mushrooming of policies initiative across the world that all aim at encouraging more responsible business conduct. And some of these new pieces of legislation put the emphasis on the need for businesses to communicate their due diligence efforts, for example, UK Modern Slavery Act, the Australian Modern Slavery Act, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, whilst others focus more on how to implement a proper responsible business conduct. For example, the German due diligence uh, legislation, but also the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive that's in the making in, in Europe and more to come. And there's many more I'm not going to mention here, but ultimately in both cases, whether it's the angle on say the reporting, whether it's the angle on say due diligence, the aim is from a legislative perspective to bring sustainability concerns to the core of corporate strategy. So talking about um, a social and environmental impact is not a nice to have anymore. You know, it's a must do and it should be at the core of your strategy. Sustainability disclosure should not become an end, but rather a way to improve a company's understanding of their supply chain and their impact. Um, and it's really, you know, an opportunity for businesses to really show publicly their efforts that they are doing. However, because of all these different approaches in different regions, different countries, um, and implementation at different levels, being national, being regional, companies exporting to different regions or countries, sometimes, you know, they struggle. You know, how do we meet, how are we going to meet these diverging ESG standards and what is the middle ground of all of them? And that was a point that I think that was consistently raised during our B20 discussions 
where calls for harmonization were prominent. You know, from a business perspective, if we could sketch an ideal world, you know, one rule for everyone, the same, that would be ideal. We know we are not living in an ideal world. Um, but to create a level playing field between businesses worldwide, it is important that we do speak the same language. The good news is that a common language already exists. We have those in the National Standard of Responsible Business Conduct, and they've been around for more than a decade. The UN Guiding Principles of Business Human Rights, the OECD uh, guidelines uh, um, expect companies to conduct business responsibly and report about how they manage adverse impacts as part of their due diligence efforts. And these standards do not operate in a vacuum. They acknowledge the complexity and the variety of situations businesses meet, the different sizes, maturity and leverage. And sometimes they also pose dilemmas that we really need to find an answer to. So sustainability should not be perceived as a kind of a luxury huh? that is a concern for Global North only. Nor should the right to development and sustainability imperatives be opposed. They are not mutually exclusive. On the contrary, they do reinforce one another. The reality is that no company should capitalize on poor human rights or devastating uh, environmental impact to grow and do business. Doesn't matter where that company is. There must be a path where economic prosperity and sustainability really go hand in hand. Call it the middle way path. And at a follow we call this trait of purpose. But this requires collective and shared efforts where everyone has a role to play and it requires ongoing dialogue. It may, may sound maybe a bit idealistic at first sight, but I'm really convinced that ESG is the key to long-term resilience since it, because it does allow companies to strategically contribute to sustainable development beyond making profit. I'm not saying away from profit. Profit is important because profit is also a part of being sustainable for the long term. The good news is that there is a business case for doing so. A company that conducts due diligence to manage its material impacts, risk and opportunity across ESG value chain is better placed to attract sustainable investment, but also to attract and retain talents or to really uh, outperform others. And I'm very hopeful that the 20 recommendations towards further alignment of ESG reporting standards will contribute to facilitate sustainable investment and therefore create further development and business opportunities across the world. I hope this answered your question. If there's anything unclear, do let me know. Thank you. Thank you for that answer once again. And as we're, as we're winding down the discussion for today, um, I think the last question should be about, about continuity, you know, when we're talking about the G20 context. So under the Indian presidency, the B20 in particular generated very insightful discussions around resilience and sustainability of global value chains. How can we ensure that these conversations are continued under the Brazilian presidency that is to follow uh, when, they, when, when Brazil takes over the B20? And how do we ensure that the topic remains a core priority? Yeah, I think it's very important that they continue to start with. Uh, so we, 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 we have to make the case that resilience and sustainability of supply chain 
are another one off topic. It's a deep seated issue that will need to be followed up by the B20 and the G20 over several presidencies. So let's really try hard not to lose it. And I think the recent events such as COVID-19, but also, for example, the war in Ukraine have shown us that global supply chains can be fragile. Uh, and as mentioned before, we believe that a key to address this fragility and creating resi resilience is by advancing sustainability in supply chain. If we recognize that shocks such as COVID and wars will continue to emerge, then we can argue that global leaders forums like the G20 P20 will need to continue the discussion of advanced sustainability and resilience and make sure that links between them are understood. Um, furthermore, I would say many of the G20 countries are eating behind or will be affected by several new and forthcoming legislative acts on sustainability and due diligence. Over the next few years, sustainability supply chain is sure to have a strong impact on trade, employment, and the wider global economy. And as such, influence in the global economy cannot be achieved without a discussion on sustainability of supply chains. The legislative acts also reflect growing interest and concerns of consumers in several G20 countries on sustainability. And both businesses as well as governments really will need to continue to listen to their consumers. The Indian B20 president may have made some headways in really raising the importance of sustainability and resilience. The Brazilian president will have to take this further by translating this into more concrete guidelines for governments and businesses. And beyond this, such guidelines will have to be subsequently be monitored over time because what, what isn't monitored isn't going to be uh, uh, implemented. Therefore, the conversation really needs to, uh, needs to continue. The, the, the success of the arguments I just listed um, really, really will uh, uh, depend on the presidency and the B20 and G20 architecture and process. We know that each G20 presidency plays a big role in setting the agenda during that tenure, and that's fair. Huh? Also, from India, you want to bring an Indian perspective. Brazil wants to bring in the Brazilian perspective. In Brazil, we have a government that has expressed a strong commitment to sustainability, particularly in relation to environmental sustainability and the impact of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, but also on poverty and discrimination in the society. We will need to tap into this interest and build alliances and synergies with this movement in Brazil, including showing how sustainable and resilient global supply chains goes hand in hand with domestic concerns about social and environmental sustainability and economic growth. The role that presidencies have in influencing the G20, B20 agenda can be a double-edged sword in the sense that it poses a risk that every time it's going to be a completely new agenda that is being delinked from the previous one. And that should not happen. There have been calls for the G20 process to have a permanent secretariat to ensure consistency and continuity. And that might be a way forward in, in making sure that there is more consistency in the, fall, in, in, in the presidencies, presidencies that are following up on that one. On a final point, I think it's also important that there is some continuity in the choice of partnerships of the B20 
uh, in Brazil or any of or any other countries following Brazil's, because also the partnerships show continuity and can bring this uh, um, uh, uh, input that is building what already has been discussed in previous years. Uh, B20 processes. So it will be key to have those actors who strongly advocated for resilience and sustainability of supply chains in the Indian process, but they also are present in the Brazilian process with important roles that can continue to make take this important issue forward. And I really do hope Alfor is one of these actors and hopes to play a role in the Brazilian B22. Thank you, Chand. Right. Thank you so much. And on that note, we'll end today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for making time for us. That was very insightful discussion. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts. 